recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, on Friday, July 22nd, 2011. Episode 214 is being broadcast from our station in McKees Rocks where it's hot and muggy. My name is Cliff Zlotnicker, the Z-Man, and I'll be soloing today as my co-host Radio Joe Hughes is on his way back from John Don Portland's Oregon store where he was teaching some mold remediation courses. At the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold Novak. Today's segments include the IQ Radio trivia question, an interview with attorney Harvey Cohen from the Cohen and Battisti Law Firm in Florida, halftime announcements with our What's News newsman Glenn Fellman, and Roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Check out our Facebook page at IEQ Radio Program. I write and post a blog after each show. Check it out at our website, www.ieqradio.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen to the show live, follow the link on your invitation or go to our website, www.ieqradio.com. The show can be downloaded from our website. It's also available on iTunes. Don't forget that you can earn ABIH CM points, IICRC continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at ieqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the schedule of the training courses that you trust at ieqtraining.com. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, just text in your answer. Congratulations. <laughs> to Robert Bean for being the first person to answer last week's trivia question. That 10 inches of snow equals one inch of water content. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, July 22nd, 2011 has been sponsored by Cochrane and Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the only insurer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average that posted its first financial loss in seven years due to tornado damage that cost the company more than it lost during Hurricane Katrina. Harvey V. Cohen is a former state prosecutor for the Ninth Judicial Circuit of 
Florida. He received a law degree from Stetson University College of Law. He was enlisted in the U.S. Army from 1987 through 1989, and we thank him for his service. During that time, his assignments took him from upstate New York to Panama. After graduating from Stetson, Harvey was employed by the state attorney general's office. Mr. Cohen is licensed to practice in federal and state court. Mr. Cohen began as a solo practitioner and is now the managing partner of six attorneys and five co-counsel staff. Cohen Batisti, attorneys at law, are great supporters of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Mr. Cohen frequently gives informative seminars at Crown Cleaning Supplies in Orlando and other locations throughout Florida. These seminars include contractors legal rights, assignment of insurance benefits, the attorney fee shifting statute, contract drafting and more. He's been invited to be a speaker at national conventions and is the general counsel for the Orlando Predators. Cohen Batisti has handled thousands of insurance claims. The firm represents the restoration industry throughout the state of Florida. Cohen Batisti attorneys has recovered hundreds of thousands of dollars for their clients and the insurance industry has paid their clients attorneys fees. You know, it's such a shame that it's so hard to find good, honest, legal help these days. See, the problem with my brother and me is we're recidivists, habitual criminal offenders. No attorney wants to go near us. I gotta find him a lawyer. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Good afternoon, Harvey. Thank you for joining us on IAQ Radio. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's get right into the questions. Harvey, in Florida, what are some of the common disputes between homeowners and insurance carriers on property damage complaints? I would say uh, the the number one issue is the amount of claim, the amount that the uh, uh, insurance carrier wants to pay out for property damage claims. <clears throat> no matter what, even if it's for the restoration part or for the contents or, you know, you name it, they don't want to pay it. Okay. What little-known beneficial or other detrimental language exists within the standard forms of property owners' insurance policies that most homeowners are unaware of? Um, there, there is a benefit. For example, uh, we do insurance claims and we do personal injury, and, and I've seen coverage before for uh, uh, something – for example, that someone was involved in a personal injury case and their homeowner's insurance policy had coverage to benefit them, to provide them with coverage and legal counsel and things like that for uh, a person that they injured. Okay, cool. And most people don't know about that. All right. Uh, is that under the umbrella part of uh, homeowner's coverage? No, that, that's under the general policy. Okay. You know, everybody, you know, all policies are different. I tell everybody, you know, check your own policies. But that is one of the things that when you talk about, you know, a little-known uh, benefit, that, that's one of the ones that I was thinking of. Is it pretty much standard in, in most of the forms, or it varies company by company? It, it varies company to company, but I have seen that in, in most insurance uh, uh, contracts. Okay. When experiencing difficulty in dealing with a property damage claim uh, with their insurance company, oftentimes uh, the policyholder's first inclination might be to contact their, uh, you know, their household attorney. Is, is that a good idea? Yes. You know, um, anytime, especially in the state of Florida. In, in Florida, we have what's called a fee-shifting statute, and it goes like this. If you have a dispute with your own insurance company and and you win, the insurance company is responsible for all your uh, for reasonable attorney's fees and costs. So whenever you have a dispute with uh, your own insurance company, it's important to get an insurance attorney involved. Or if you talk to if you have a uh, an attorney who is your family attorney, you know, speak to them. Maybe they can refer you to somebody. But it is important to get to an attorney that that knows uh, about insurance and insurance claims. Is is this special knowledge that you have and, and special expertise? Because it seems that your firm, uh, ha one of the specialties of your firm is to deal with it. If they would just call their normal attorney who does wills and uh, 
uh, th- that sort of thing. Are, are most normal attorney, or I guess most general practice attorneys in Florida familiar with these issues? No, absolutely not. Even, um, you know, I, I've, uh, over the years, we've uh, gotten clients that had uh, construction law attorneys that are very familiar with, um, you know, the, that 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 do all kinds of contracts and construction law, but they have no idea about the fee shifting statute, which is so important because our clients have been paying their uh, construction law lawyers to collect money for them, even when they could have been collecting it the whole time from the insurance company and not paying out of their own pocket. So, you know, our clients who went out and did a job, did the remediation, did, did the bill back, uh, didn't get paid in full by the insurance company and had to go after them. Now, not only did they lose money to the insurance company, but now they had to go pay their attorney uh, additional money to collect the money that, that was owed to them. You know, it seems that because this people, is... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, that, that you know, even if you uh, are an attorney, you know, a lot of people don't know about the fee-shifting statute. That really has to do with insurance claims. And that's how we got involved with all these, you know, we've done thousands of insurance claims. We, you know, for, for actually started with doctors and, and, um, and, and that's how I got involved with the restoration industry that we did that first. Then we started doing hurricane claims for homeowners. And then I realized if I teach uh, contractors how to use what's called an assignment of benefits, that they, they could also get the benefit of the fee shifting statute and hire our firm and, and, and allow us to collect all of our fees from the insurance company instead of coming out of their pocket. You know, here's here's uh, a question that, that I guess would be tough for you to answer. In settling a property damage claim, who really is the best advocate for the policyholder? Is it their insurance repair contractor? Is it their attorney? Is it a public adjuster? Uh, is it something else, or is it a combination of the above? Well, it, you know, it could be a combination. I would say, first of all, if we're talking about a homeowner, um, I would say the repair contractor is not their best advocate. Okay. And even even worse than uh, they need to be very careful, the, the contractor and the homeowner, you know, the, the, the contractor doesn't need to hold himself out as a public adjuster and try to, you know, quote, unquote, adjust a claim. Um, they can, you know, if, if they do the claim and they, uh, um, you know, bill for the claim and, and, and try to negotiate their portion of the claim, that's one thing. But if they try to help the homeowner, for example, let's say they do the dry out, but then they're trying to get the homeowner payment for, uh, uh, for, for their property that was damaged in the, in it, you know, in the leak or, or in the flood or whatever it was, they, they shouldn't do that kind of stuff. Now, um, now, so I would say for the repair contractor, the answer is no. Okay. An attorney or a public adjuster, the answer is yes, maybe. So an attorney, like what we talked about before, if you have an attorney who uh, does this type of work, I think it's very important. And, and uh, you know, there are some great attorneys who, who do a great job advocating for their clients, doing everything they can to get their clients paid, you know, the, the homeowners. The difference between a public adjuster and um, uh, an attorney is uh, attorneys are allowed to charge the insurance company for their attorney's fees. And, uh, you know, sometimes we take a percentage minus our attorney's fees um, and adjusters, public adjusters take a percentage of whatever the, the claim is. But I've seen, you know, public adjusters also uh, do a great job for, for, for homeowners and property owners. Uh, we have many, many adjusters in, in the state of Florida that refer us cases because maybe they can get it up to a certain point and they can't get it to go any further, so they need to file a lawsuit against the insurance company. So then that's when they have to bring us in, and, and then we litigate the, the remainder of the claim for the homeowner. Gotcha. In settling property damage claims, there's an old adage that the squeaky wheel uh, gets the grease. Uh, have you found that true in your practice in dealing with these types of claims? Definitely. You know, um, uh, I believe that, Insurance companies love to play the delay game, and I tell people uh, it, it's a situation like this. If I could say, hey, I'll give you a million dollars 
you can't spend it and you have to give it back to me next year. Uh, but in the meantime, you can invest it, you know, and, and earn interest on it, but you just can't spend my million dollars. Would you take that deal? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, and that's kind of what's going on here. The insurance companies, uh, when they have a claim, they're allowed to set money aside into a reserve, uh, make money on that money tax-free. And when they pay the claim, then, you know, then it goes back into their uh, general funds. But in the meantime, they're collecting all of this interest off of the money, off of the, the, the claim that hasn't been paid yet. So the longer they can keep the money in their own pocket, the better off the, the insurance company is. Right. It was I'm true. One, I'm sorry, the, the, and I, I think I went off on a little tangent there, but the squeaky wheel part of it is that you need to, if, if you have a claim and you're, you're trying to handle it yourself, then you would need to, you know, communicate constantly and consistently with the, with the adjusters who are involved. I've seen many times, though, that, you know, they're overwhelmed also, so they have stacks and piles of files on their desk, and, and they can't get to everything. So you want to be the one that, you know, contacts them frequently so that they, they have your case in mind, and they want to, you know, resolve your case to get rid of you so that they can move on to other cases. You know, we've talked about being an advocate, uh, your law firm and yourself being an advocate for the homeowner. Uh, I want to shift a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the work that you might do for repair contractors. You know, this adage, how soon they forget, it, it's a mantra, and it's known to many insurance repair contractors, you know, on Super Bowl Sunday, on Christmas, on Easter, Passover, you know, they give up dealing with their family, and they go out and, and respond to an emergency. And what it refers to is the client loves them until it's time to pay the bill. Uh, what right. tactics do you suggest to ensure that insurance repair contractors receive the mon money that they are entitled to for the work they performed in the shortest possible time? They, they have to use an assignment of benefits. <clears throat> an assignment of benefits allows the, the repair contractor to take over the claim and to actually stand in the shoes of the insured. And what that means is the, when the uh, contractor goes out and does the job, they own the claim. It's theirs to, uh, to, um, to do what they will. So now they're in charge of the claim themselves. And once you, once you have an assignment of benefits, you can deal directly with the insurance company. You don't have to worry about the homeowner. You can tell the homeowner, listen, as long as you have coverage, Whatever I take from whatever I get from the insurance company is what I'll take. You don't have to pay me a penny. You don't have to worry about anything. And then you deal directly with the insurance company. A, a good example is uh, a contractor will go out and do a job, and let's say they charge twenty thousand dollars for for uh, a restoration case. The insurance company pays them ten. We will go collect the other ten thousand dollars for the restoration company and give it to them in full. 100% of the money that we get, we give to the restoration company. And that's because they used a valid assignment of benefits. And I have those available on my websites uh, that, that contractors, I give them away for free because I want everybody to use these contracts that I've drafted and, and the assignment of benefits. They're so important and they're so powerful, especially here in Florida. You know, I know we have listeners uh, all over the, the United States, and most states have uh, uh, laws that, that discuss assignment of benefits. They might not have the fee-shifting statute, but, you know, I would say talk to your uh, insurance attorney in, in, in whatever state you're in and see if they um, have anything like that. And I'd be happy to uh, discuss uh, – our, our processes with, with attorneys from other states to try to help the restoration industry. Thank you. I, I, well, I guess one complication, you know, let's say I'm an insurance restoration contractor. I go out, I do emergency work. I have the policyholder, you know, sign my authorizations, my contracts, my assignment of benefits. And then all of a sudden we realize that, hey, we really need to hire a public adjuster in this particular case. Can there be two assignments of benefits, or does that assignment the benefits need to shift up to the shift over to the public adjuster? You know what happens 
in those cases. What well, um, are you saying for the for the homeowner or for the contractor? I don't think the contractor uh, would would need to hire a public adjuster. The you know, they, the homeowner. Right, maybe the homeowner would, but if for if I was a repair contractor, I would want to make sure mine was the first in time that that I get an assignment of benefits, and they're only getting an assignment of benefits for the portion of the work that they complete. So, you know, as opposed to, for, for example, if you um, get a public adjuster and you sign as a homeowner, you assign your benefits because that they use the same forms. You give an assignment of benefits to the to the public adjuster that they resolve your entire claim for you. So it's not just the, the, the water, you know, the dry out, and then the build back, and then the contents, and then the loss of use, and the hotels, and all the living expenses, all that stuff. The, the public adjuster can adjust that entire claim where a repair contractor can't do it. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a situation where one of my clients um, who was just trying to bill for the for the um, for the repair work that they needed to that they felt I think it's important for me now to go you know get a public adjuster. You never I don't want to say never, but I've never seen that happen because what would happen is as long as you're billing out a fair and reasonable price, you know, uh, let's use Xactimate for for an example. You know, that's not the Bible. You don't have to go by Xactimate, but it's a good guide to go by. So if you use Xactimate pricing and the insurance company doesn't pay you, you collect whatever you want, and then you can turn the bill over to us, and we'll collect the rest for you. And and the difference between that and a public adjuster is the public adjuster would either take a portion of your bill or ask you to cut your bill or something like that. Gotcha. And we don't do that. We do it the other way around. We collect whatever we can collect and and give it to our clients, and then the insurance company pays our fees separately. So it doesn't matter if we're collecting thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars we just give it to our contractors do you see glaring inconsistencies in claim settlement offers by insurance companies in periods of fair weather as opposed to following regional disasters such as hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that well i do i mean you know i I would say yes and no week to week um these guys change their minds about how they process claims. <clears throat> you can imagine during uh, hurricanes or tornadoes, they, you know, sometimes they'll hire new outside adjusters and they don't really, the insurance companies, uh, these new guys don't, don't really know how to adjust a claim properly. That's how we got a lot of our hurricane cases in the beginning. Uh, uh, an adjuster would come out and look at a house and say, okay, well, you need a couple of those roof tiles repaired and this and that. And so I know you're hurting for money, so here's $10,000. Well, that's not true. You don't need a couple replaced. You need the whole roof replaced. And you don't, that's not it. You have to replace all the drywall that, that you know, that was damaged from the hurricane on the inside. And that affected the carpet and that affected the, the, the whole entire room, you know, on and on and on. So in these cases where somebody would collect $10,000 from the insurance company, we would go back and get them, you know, $200,000 from the insurance company because the insurance company would, you know, just try to pay them a little bit of money and move on to the next claim when, when you have hurricanes. Uh, but we've also had the situation like this. We've had an insurance company say, listen, don't sue us anymore, and we will pay your, uh, your client's claims in full. Every single client that you give to us, We'll pay them in full immediately. Just show us the invoice, and we'll pay you guys a little bit of money in attorney fees, and that way we're all happy. You know, your client gets paid quickly. You guys make a little bit of money, and and the case is done without going through the process of litigation. So we say, okay, that will last for about a month or two, and then the insurance company comes back and goes, oh, we can't do that anymore. And it's it's not really – I would say it's not because of hurricanes or tornadoes. It's because of management. Sometimes they come in and they say, why are we paying all these attorney's fees? Let's settle these claims, you know, quickly. And then that lasts for a few months. And then they come back and go, why are we settling all these claims? Let's fight these claims. This is crazy. And then, you know, so they go back and forth or there's a new supervisor in the office or, or what have you. So I would say it's not just, um, you know, the fair weather periods. I would say it's, it's just 
the, the nature of the beast, they, they change their mind from week to week. Gotcha. All right, let me tell you what's going to happen now, Harvey. We're going to put you on hold. We're going to bring on our newsman, Glenn Fellman, for a couple of minutes. He's going to do some news stories. We'll do the second half of your interview uh, after the news and, and uh, a commercial break. And then at the end, I'm going to want you to give your contact information um, you know, to the listeners. I also understand that you've got an event coming up. We're going to chat about that at the end of the program. So without further ado... Great. association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Glenn, it's music. Glenn, what's news? I just got a cease and desist letter from NBC Nightly News Did about something <laughs> about using their music. I don't know. How are you guys doing? We're Great doing show well. today. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to call this the uh, the Waiting for Godot edition of uh, What's in the News okay. because uh, it's sort of like that play Waiting for Godot. It's, uh, it's a little bit mind-numbing. Uh, at the same time that we're reporting in our July edition of Indoor Environment Connections about some phenomenal work going on in the federal government. We're getting ready to report in our August and September editions that uh, some of this great stuff may not be around for much longer, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. First of all, let's talk about some good stuff that happened last month. Uh, OSHA has addressed IAQ in the workplace in one of the most significant ways uh, they ever have before through a new publication. It's called Indoor Air Quality in Commercial and Institutional Buildings, and it provides building owners and managers and employees and workers with recommendations to prevent or minimize IAQ problems, again, in commercial buildings or in institutional buildings like hospitals and schools and so forth. It's a free document. It's available uh, on the OSHA website, uh, which is OSHA.gov. You can go to the Indoor Environment Connections website which is ieconnections.com, and read about it on page 3, and uh, there's a link there right to the document. So we've got OSHA putting out some great material. Meanwhile, EPA has been uh, very active this summer. Uh, after the Joplin, Missouri disaster with the tornadoes where uh, so many people were, were killed and so much property was, was lost, EPA came out with some warnings about lead paint, uh, urging people to uh, be careful because a lot of the older home stock that was just just devastated there 
uh, was likely to have lead paint, and people are going in and they're tearing down those 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 remaining parts of those structures. And EPA came out and reminded people about the RRP rules and uh, really to be careful about protecting themselves. Meanwhile, uh, EPA has also come out with uh, the General Services Administration, the Department of Agriculture's Defense, um, HUD, and Veterans Affairs to address concerns about radon. And they've actually put together a National Radon Action Plan. Uh, radon exposure causes an estimated 21,000 lung cancer deaths each year and is the second leading cause of lung cancer death in the U.S., second only to cigarette smoking. So uh, the plan has uh, a lot of federal government actions to reduce radon risks, like launching a cross-government outreach initiative to educate facilities, uh, incorporating radon testing and mitigation to all kinds of federal programs, uh, investing in new standards and updating codes and measurement mitigation in schools and daycare facilities, and even establishing incentives that would drive testing and mitigation in the private and public sector. And uh, approximately one out of 15 homes in America contains high levels of radon. It's a serious health risk. So that's some of the great stuff that the federal government's doing and that we reported about in our July edition. So why I called this the sort of waiting for Godot kind of uh, uh, installment of the news segment is that meanwhile we're watching this budget uh, debate come down to the wire in Washington, and no matter how you parse it, it looks to me like these federal agencies are going to take it on the chin in a big way. Sometime within the next two weeks, Congress is expected to uh, begin deliberations on the federal fiscal year 2012 budget, and hopefully we'll have a budget approved before we default on our debt and all of that. But um, part of this budget, uh, depending on which budget you're looking at, the president's budget or the uh, ones that come through different uh, committees, uh, part of the budget includes specific appropriations um, from the president's budget, uh, specific appropriations dedicated to OSHA and uh, that's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Uh, AIHA, which is the American Industrial Hygiene Association, put out a special alert to its members this week, and they voiced their substantial interest in these agencies and the impact of occupational safety and health that would occur if these budgets uh, that uh, President Obama and members of Congress uh, are pushing for. The president... Uh, has proposed a modest $25 million increase in the OSHA 2012 fiscal year budget. However, there have been suggestions that OSHA's budget could be cut substantially, some suggesting a cut in the neighborhood of $100 million. Uh, obviously, AIHA and other groups are opposed to this cut, and they support uh, an increase uh, like the president wanted. Uh, and studies have shown and proven that the expenditures on occupational health and safety create a positive return uh, to the bottom line of employers, and they protect the health and safety of America's workers, and there really it isn't debatable. Uh, of great concern also to AIHA and others is uh, the President's proposed 2012 budget for the Department of Health and Human Services, particularly as it relates to NIOSH. The president has proposed a 17% cut in the NIOSH budget uh, and the uh, elimination of all federal funding, that's $24 plus million, for what's called the Educational and Research Centers. The Educational and Research Centers are 17 university-based groups across the U.S. where NIOSH supports grad, uh, graduate degree programs and research training into occupational uh, safety and health areas. Uh, these things translate into scientific results uh, and recommendations for professional practice, and they ad identify gaps in our scientific knowledge that can be used to address, uh, you know, uh, the types of, of, of safety and health uh, provisions that we need in, in our country. NIOSH is the only federal agency responsible for conducting research like this, and so if this ERC program is eliminated. Uh, there will be no federally funded program to um, bring scientists into this country or into this uh, in, into our economy who are dealing with health and safety issues, and that's kind of a scary thing. 
Moving on, uh, EPA likewise uh, looks to stand significant funding uh, if you look at the Interior and Environment uh, and Related Agencies Appropriations Bills released by the House Appropriations Committee uh, late last week. Uh, EPA's budget would be slashed by 18%, Interior by 8%, and EPA would, uh, uh, this one would um, get $7.1 billion Again, that's 18% below last year's, and um, uh, this bill also caps EPA's personnel at last year's level, which was the lowest level since 1992. What has a lot of people nervous, however, is uh, part of what's included in the Interior Environment Appropriations Bill. The bill number is H.R. 2584. There's a rider sponsored by Representative Denny uh, Rayberg that would stop EPA's progress on preventing childhood lead poisoning because it would suspend EPA's work on the RRP rule unless the agency approves another lead test kit. Uh, the the uh, argument is that the test kits for lead are insufficient and they need a better kit for people to be able to uh, uh, fulfill the requirements of the RRP rule. Yesterday, that bill, H.R. 2584, was moved forward by the Rules Committee with rules for debate on the, on the House floor, and the vote on the floor could happen today. Um, the only silver lining in this is that the White House has publicly opposed the anti-RRP amendment. In a statement released yesterday afternoon, uh, the White House said, if the president is presented with a bill that undermines ongoing conservation, public health, and environmental protection efforts, uh, his senior advisors would recommend he veto the bill. And then specifically regarding the renovation rule, the White House said uh, uh, Section 450 of the bill prohibits funding for EPA to implement the 2008 lead renovation repair and painting rule. And, um, and they went on to say that uh, the currently available test kits do allow renovators to comply with the 2008 rule. So. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, everything's happening behind closed doors. You hear about the Gang of Six. You hear about uh, the president meeting with uh, top members of Congress, uh, all kinds of things. It's going to be very interesting next month to find out uh, how things settle out and then determine uh, which government agencies got hit the hardest. But um, I think it's, it's fair to say, and not too speculative, that all of these agencies are in, are in jeopardy of losing substantial portions of their budgets, uh, things that affect your listeners, our listeners, every single day, like lead paint, radon, uh, indoor air quality, um, are things that are very likely to be on the chopping block in terms of their overall funding or, or a partial funding. So I'll be happy to report on that for you uh, in maybe two or three weeks' time if we have a approved budget and we know what we're going to be doing about our debt ceiling and all that. And uh, maybe we can get a little bit more um, focus on exactly how it's going to affect our industry, especially this RRP rule where so many of uh, uh, the listeners of this show have gone to great lengths to comply with that rule. And now to potentially see it uh, suspended would be a pretty big burden on them. Well, Glenn, as always, we at IQ Radio thank you for bringing us the news. All right. All right. My pleasure. Okay. Let's back to Harvey. Okay, Harvey, was there a specific an event or an aha moment that prompted your legal strategies and tactics for settling these property damage claims? Um, I would say there was a, a moment where I – realized how we could help the restoration industry if we just teach people how to use the assignment of benefits form in the way that we've been helping uh, doctors who, who don't get paid by their insurance companies. And um, for me, that was a really aha moment. That's why, for, for example, we were talking about that we have a class coming up at, uh, on August 4th um, that, that, I go around and teach people how to use these forms, what they mean. I give them to everyone for free because I want to be like the Johnny Appleseed of the AOB. You know, it's, they're so powerful and so important. And if we can just get everyone on board and teach everybody how to use these forms, it, it, it could, you know, I've been to classes before and people have said, I want to thank you. You've changed our industry. 
before we thought we just had to take whatever the insurance companies was giving us and, and there was nothing we could do about it. But, you know, since you've come along, you've really helped us. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I appreciate that to the bottom of my heart. I, you know, I, we try so hard to, to help people and, and it, it's just a great feeling when you uh, get the feedback like that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely making a difference uh, does provide a very uh, fulfilling feeling. Uh, let's talk a little bit about indoor air quality issues. Have you been involved in any claims that you know have involved, you know, sewage or, or mold or fire damage or Chinese drywall? Um, we've been involved in uh, in in all of those. Uh, unfortunately, I'll, I'll start at the at the end there. The Chinese drywall. There there have been uh, tons of litigation involving uh, Chinese drywall. Big, big, you know, uh, awards from what I understand, <clears throat> but I've never heard of anyone getting paid ever for Chinese drywall. So we decline those type of cases. Um, it, but so for sewage and, and fire and mold, yeah, we get involved with those all the time. You know, those are the ones where it, it, it just goes back to what we were talking about before. If there's, if there's coverage, we fight coverage issues for, for our clients. We fight, um, you know, slow pays or no pays. We've had, you know, I, I can't, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cases where either the insurance company didn't pay in full or sometimes they don't pay at all and then we have to go after them and then they try to think of a reason why they didn't pay. But, it, it, you know, they should have just paid when they had the chance. Um, when you work on a property damage dispute, you're going to really work for whoever hires you. So if the contractor hires you, you're going to work for him. If the policyholder right. hires you, you're going to work for them. Uh, would right. there ever be any circumstances where you would be working for, for two parties or not? Well, there, there would, and I would, um, you know, I would get everyone to sign a, a waiver, you know, for, of, for conflicts. And I would, if any conflict ever arose, I would have to withdraw from one or both of the representations. You know, I, you can't represent two people if they're, if they're, um, if one of their outcomes is going to affect the other one's outcome, because you have to, as an attorney, I have to be, uh, uh, the advocate for my client. Their, their, uh, benefit has to outweigh my own. So, so if there's ever an instance where, um, I'm representing two different people. If they're, if they're benefit as, as adverse to the other, then I would have to withdraw from one or both. And, um, generally we represent contractors and, and that's why we teach them how to use the AOB because we have a professional ongoing relationship. For example, the contractor comes out and they do, you know, however many jobs, uh, this week or this month. And they're, you know, hopefully paid on most, but if they're not paid on a few of those, every month they're just giving us more and more cases. And every month we're, you know, returning the favor by paying them, you know, giving them the money that they deserve for, for those cases. So I would say probably 95% of our business is for the, the industry rather than the actual policyholder. Okay. Are there any real memorable cases um, either for a restoration contractor or a policyholder, uh, you know, just in generalities. I, I don't need to know the client's name or the amount of funds or anything like that. But you know, it would seem that there are probably a, you know one or more that might be real memorable or that you're most proud of that you could comment on. I can say that there there are a couple that for for us, you know, as an attorney, we don't there's you know we don't have that smoking gun in these cases. You know, it's not like TV or the movies where you get somebody on the stand and, and, you know, you cross examine them like Perry Mason and they go, okay, I did it. You're right. You win. You know, we don't ever get that. But in a couple of cases, I had one, uh, I have one client who, um, who, uh, during all the hurricanes went through a bunch of litigation. This was before he knew us. And, and now he videotapes everything. So when he comes to the front door, he knocks on the door. Hi, hello, um, you know, Joe from XYZ Restoration Company. I'm here to, to uh, you know, from your, for your call. Do you mind if I videotape? And the people say, no, come on in. So he, he's videotaping that from the start. So he videotapes them. He went through the house. He walks around through the house. He finds the, 
the league, you know, he squishes the car, squish, 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 walks around and, you know, shows it all on videotape. Then he goes over all the contracts, it's all on videotape, and, and explains to everything what he's going to do, the process, the, the paperwork that they're filling out. He goes over everything. So he had a case where um, he did a job. The, the person who owned the house was the, the parent of an adult renter. So, you know, the, the father owned the house, but he lived, let's say, in New York. The daughter lives here in Orlando, or actually this was Miami. And, uh, and so she called the dad. He got, you know, she said, this is what's going on. I have this guy here to, to, to do whatever he has to do. She talks to the dad. My client talks to the dad. This goes on for, you know, at least 10, 15 minutes where they go back and forth, back and forth. And then... Um, he does the job, does a great job. The clients are all happy. The insurance company doesn't pay. And uh, when, when they didn't pay and we had to sue them, the insurance company's excuse was uh, uh, the, that the girl wasn't authorized to sign and that the father didn't know anything about the, this job at all. So when we had the actual video of him talking to the dad on the phone, that was one of those smoking guns. That was a great one. I had another one where we had a, um, our client's bill was being reviewed by a third-party administrator, supposedly, and the adjuster, we got a hold of an adjuster's email that said, I'm sending you this file. Make sure that you find that the bill was excessive. She told the other person to make sure that they find that the bill was excessive before they even got a chance to see the bill. And we got a hold of that too. And that was another, you know, for us, that's why I'm saying we don't really get those. That doesn't happen a lot. You know, usually it's just the normal course of litigation and we fight over amounts and we fight over coverage. But when you have those kind of things that the, the smoking guns of the, that shows what the industry, the insurance companies are up to, I, I you know, I love those because we don't get them very often. That's cool. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this event that you have uh, coming up? At, at John Don? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, uh, we have a, an event coming up on August 4th. Um, I believe it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, it, Carol's not here right now, so I would ask her. But anyway, I believe it's at 10 at Rondon in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, it's a great event. It's uh, IICRC. You can get credits for from IRICRC for continuing education, and we go over in detail how to uh, use the assignment of benefits, the fee-shifting statute, what it means. Um, I give out uh, contracts to everyone. I give flash drives that that contain these uh, contracts and other important information. We go over a lot of business strategies and things like that at the class. It's really beneficial, extremely well, I think that they, they can learn a lot. They can save money. They can get some protection. Uh, they can, uh, it sounds like a real good event, plus they can get continuing education credits. Uh, that's important. What we're going to do now is go into what we call a roundup. I'm going to open the mic up for our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, and, and Glenn will come back. And we're, we're going to kind of go around and ask you one last question, and then at the end we'll uh, give you the last word. So, Sure. Go ahead. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw high. Let's start with technical director. Good afternoon, Dieter. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, Cliff. Uh, I listen carefully, and I have a couple of comments uh, that have with my business. And, of course, there is somebody calling in right now, hell with him. anyway i you know i always have a problem with insurance 
companies and warranties on my car. Uh, when yeah, I pay my insurance. In fact, I just paid my insurance for the car, and there are like twelve pages, small print in the back. Of course, I didn't read them. Uh, okay. That kind of bothers me. It's like the warranty on a car. Anything that breaks is not under warranty. Oh, that was a moving part. Now, there are very few things in a car which do not move. Right. <laughs> Maybe the roof. Right. <laughs> the ashtray moves. The door moves. You know, everything right. moves. The right, seat. right. Right. And I, you know, I personally think, I mean, we, 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 we shouldn't need a lawyer um, if we have a claim. And I like to be uh, fairly rewarded for what I paid. Let's put it that way. Right. Here's another thing that happened to me personally about a half a year ago. Uh, I have a car, it doesn't matter what it is, and I had a, literally, the proverbial fender bender, nothing much on it, at uh, a whopping two miles an hour, maybe three miles an hour. At a... Hello? Oh, that's not me. And... Uh, I got it to the the trusted uh, 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 repair shop of the dealer. They quoted me $1,200. And I looked at that and I said, these guys got to be nuts. I have a friend who is very good, and he needed some money. He did it for 250 bucks. So I saved the company $1,000. And I said, guys, I would like to, you know, I would like to get a little. I saved you $1,000. Well, needless to say, I didn't get a check. Right. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing, the other problem that I have, I work, 90% of my business is working as an expert witness with lawyers. Right. And uh, I sent them an invoice for $1,000. And I don't get paid for a half a year. And I said, hey, guys, you know, I sent you half a year ago. And it, oh, immediately when I got your invoice, I submitted it to the uh, insurance company. Of course, I have no idea which insurance company that is. Right. A lawyer right. half a year later doesn't know it, and I gave it to my secretary. That's our standard procedure. But I think the insurance company is, A, keeping the money. We talked about the interest. Right. Maybe they are betting that I may forget. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Dr. Weil is stupid enough to not at all <laughs> think about it, and bye-bye. Right. The other thing, and Glenn mentioned that one, and I don't. I still, I have no idea how to handle that. I don't think anybody does. We talk about it. We are fourteen trillion dollars in debt, which we don't know how to pay back. And now we are discussing that we are fourteen trillion dollars in debt. Oh, let's let's beef it up to twenty trillion dollars. You know, let's borrow some money to pay what we can't pay back in the first place. If I were to do that, if I had a million dollars in uh, um, in a credit card um, a, a debt, um, well, if I were to go to another company and I said, "Hey, you know, can you borrow me? Can I yeah. can I borrow? Can you lend me a, 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 a million dollars that I can pay these guys off?" No, they, right. you know what they do, and they tell me where to go. Right. So those are my. I think what Glenn mentioned over there, I didn't know that with OSHA. I have to look at that, and I have the link over here. I think right. it is quite interested, interesting, and the question is, yeah, should they put their nose into everything? Yeah, that is, that is a good question. Now, they can't do anything in my house and tell me what the indoor air quality should be in my house. But sometimes I wonder if we do perhaps a little bit too much. Uh, I shut up the government. Well, you know, I, I was involved in some of those classes, too. I think probably a good idea, you know, they have these huge penalties and fines that if you violate those uh, lead law, the new laws, um, I, I was thinking about this. If they, can, if they could empower uh, attorneys to go after people that are violating those laws and be able to collect some of those fines from the people that would allow, you know, the government not to have to pay for the regulation and have kind of civil penalties 
you know, similar to like the a whistleblower statute right. or something like that. Right. And that would allow, uh, you know, people to uh, go after it. It would allow the government not to have to pay for that. And then, and then the government would save money in their regulations, and then uh, uh, people would make money. And, you know, that's the way to cure a lot of that stuff is to make it, it, you know, if you can get, if you can figure out a way to where you get a, a, attorneys involved or, or someone who will um, go after people that violate the law, if they can re- recover a civil penalty from the companies, you, you know, I'm sure law firms will pop up all over the place, that that will be their whole uh, uh, area of practice. Yeah, well, I guess so, yeah. That's, I mean, it's literally, do, do you know what the, the uh, fines for those, for the violations are? I do not. Do you does anyone? No, I, no. I want to say they're, in the, I mean, they're, you know, 28 or $56,000 per incident, you know, and there could be several incidents on one job. So you can imagine if if uh, if the government said, "Look, lawyers, I'll you know you collect this money and you get the you know you keep a, a a third of it and you give the rest to the government," you know that will cover the cost of the of the um, investigations and 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 pay people to to uh, to make sure that 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 the industry or or whoever is complying with the with the rules. Yeah, there's also criminal penalties involved with the new lawsuit. Yeah, privatization of uh, of of enforcement. That's kind of an interesting That's idea. It. Yeah, Glenn, what Hi. about you? Glenn. Hello. Yep, you're there. Hello. Oh, hello. I was I was on mute there. Can you hear me? Yep, we can. All right. Okay. Great. I had two questions. I'll try one, and if there's time, we'll go for the other one. Um, what do you recommend, uh, Harvey, in a case where an insurance company denies part of a claim under an exclusion but says they're willing to cover another part of a claim um, uh, because it's not excluded? Uh, I recently uh, was talking to somebody who had run into this situation uh, where their insurance company had said, you know, well, you know, there's two parts to this, and, you know, this part's excluded, but this part isn't. Well, it's all part and parcel of the same big job, and it's right. hard to say, you know, well, how is the insurance company going to quantify the part it's claiming it, it's responsible for versus the part it says it's not? Those are, that's the exact case that we get every day. Um, and the the attorney answer, unfortunately, is it depends. You know, those are the type of claims where when we get involved, we want to see what their reason is, the basis for the denial. We want to review the policies. We want to look at the whole case and see why they're trying to do that. And, you know, I would say a lot of times there's maybe the adjusters, you know, misinformed or they think that they can deny this portion of the claim, but, but they're, they're wrong. They're as wrong as can be. So that, that I, I I appreciate that advice, and I hope people who run into that kind of a situation turn to uh, attorneys like yourself to get the assistance they need. Do I have time for a quick second question? Sure, Cliff? go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Um, recently, I had an experience, personal experience, where I had minor hand surgery to remove a foreign object that had been embedded under my skin for almost thirty years. A little piece of a pencil, pencil lead. Wow. So. Uh, after they removed it uh, and they submitted the claim to my insurance company, everything seemed fine. And about a month later, I get a letter from a subrogation attorney representing the ins- my insurance company wanting to know whether there was any workplace accident that might have been involved in me getting this piece of pencil stuck under my hand because obviously subrogation guys, they were going to go after someone else to cover the claim. Are you seeing that in the insurance industry these days? Are they trying to go after third parties um, more aggressively than they were in the past through subrogation? Well, I, you know, we see that all the time. We do, uh, you know, as well as represent the restoration industry, we do a lot of personal injury cases just like that. And we see that actually all the time. When, whenever there's someone else that can foot the bill, you know, uh, uh, insurance companies try to, to do whatever they can to get some subrogation money back. Yeah, this is the first time I've been with the same health insurance company for over 10 years. This is the first time I've ever had a letter from an attorney come in after 
you know, I had had a procedure or one of my family members had had something done. So I just was wondering if it was something that... My was, guess is... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. My, my guess in that case, somebody probably looked at that and said, wow, this looks like either, you know, a workplace accident or a, a, a personal injury case. That's, those are the things that we were talking about before, like what's little known. For example, let's say you were over at my house and my, my kid stabbed you with a pencil. You know, you, you might be able to... to uh, come after my insurance money to cover your, to cover that pencil that, you know, the, 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 the surgery from the, from the pencil lead being stuck in your hand. Those are situations where maybe somebody that looked at it said, this doesn't look like, this looks like some kind of accident. And if there's any way that we can make some money off of this, we need to do it. But it's, so in other words, it's something that's been going on for a long time. It's not oh, a yeah. new thing. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you very okay, much. Sure. I really enjoyed you as a guest today. Okay, Thank um, you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to everyone. Okay, we're not done yet. Uh, number one, okay. I, uh, the folks from Net Claims Now are, are big fans of yours and have nice glowing right. endorsement for you on here. So that, uh, that, I, that, I, I feel the same about them, just to let you know. They do a great, great job. Uh, I refer them to all my clients. Well, what we like to do, Harvey, at this point, we want to give you the last word. Is there any final comment that you'd like to make, anything else that you would like to add? I would just like to let everyone know that we are, we're here to help you. I, it doesn't matter what state you live in. If you need our help, you know, we can't represent you in another state. But if you have an attorney that you know that does, the, that does work for you, have them call us, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give them advice and, and give them our forms and our pleadings, anything that we can do to help out. I think uh, if, if we can bring up the whole industry, then everybody's raised up instead of kind of bringing it down. So, so if we can help one person, that helps everybody else. All right. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Um, you can call me at 407-478-4878. You can email uh, me at hcohen at cohenbatisti.com. We have a website that's called cohenbatisti.com. We also have another one that's more dedicated to the restoration industry, and that one is called attorney-dispute. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Insurance-dispute-attorney.com. Uh, attorney, uh, Insurance-dispute-attorney.com. Sorry about that. Okay. And what's the date again for your John Don seminar? Let's remind people in Florida about that or close by states. August 4th. Okay. All right. Before you leave, we want to thank today's guest, Harvey Cohen. I want to thank my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our engineer, Austin Novak, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, our IAQ radio newsman, Glenn Fellman, but most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing audience of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IEQ Radio. I said I want the truth. You can't handle the truth.
has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.